We did it. We made it. We are at Acts 28. This 28-week series that we are calling Unleashed is coming to an end next week. Now, I know there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but next week we're actually going to talk about Acts 29. And you'll want to tune in online and you'll want to show up to hear about Acts 29 and what we're going to do with that starting next week. Uh, we're going to finish up the book of Acts actually next week. So tonight we're going to finish up the actual written book of Acts. But next week we're going to see how we've been writing the story of Acts 29 for the last nearly 2,000 years. So we have been going through this series called Unleashed for the last 28 weeks. We are here. Uh, I want to... Uh, kind of catch you up to speed. If you haven't been here before, haven't been here in a while, uh, we are, uh, have been following the Apostle Paul and his journey to the city of Rome, which was the capital of the known world at that time. That's where Caesar lived. And so they are going, uh, Paul is going to go before Caesar and plead his case to Caesar. Now, if you remember last week in Acts 27, we saw that Paul ended up on a ship that, that got caught in uh, some trade winds uh, and it crashed on the shore of an island. And tonight we're going to find out where that island is. In fact, we're going to pull a map up here real quick. And uh, <clears throat> you can see the red line there. That is Paul's journey from Caesarea down here in the southeast. And he's going up to Italy to Rome in the northwest. And the red line, as it sails across the blue there, it gets to the island of Malta. That is in the southwest corner. So that's where Malta is, and that's where they land. They crash land tonight. Uh, not like tonight, 2020, but like 2,000 years ago, that's where they crash landed. So they landed on the island of Malta. So we're going to talk about a little bit about what happens on that island. And then they're going to make their way up through Syracuse, uh, up to Italy, and they're going to finally get to the city of Rome and that's where we end Acts 28 with Paul in the city of Rome. So if you have your Bible, uh, grab a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 28. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use a Bible app on your phone like Version or Bible Gateway, or you can always use your GFCC app if you've downloaded that to your phone. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, we have our own app here. You can go to your app store and search for GFCC, and you can download it in a matter of seconds. You can create an account. You can get push notifications, give your tithes and offerings, as well as follow along with this interesting, fascinating sermon notes. Somebody giggled, thanks. Uh, so we are in Acts 28, and we're going to read through the, the chapter tonight as we see what happens when Paul lands on the shore of Malta. And I love this story. This is so great. Uh, it, the, the book ends on a, on a bang, so it's very interesting. So let's look at Acts chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. Once safely on shore, this is after they crashed, the boat crashed on the shore of Malta, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. So now this story is taking place in the month of November. And it was rainy and cold in November. Imagine that. Because it was rainy and cold a couple of days, like last weekend. It was rainy and cold and it's going to do it again this coming week. Why? Because it's November. And so this is in November of the year. They've landed on this island. The islanders come out and they show them, uh, Luke says, unusual kindness. Uh, they build them a fire. And so Paul's going to get some brushwood and throw it on the fire. Look at verses 3 through 5. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? 
When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. So the islanders have seen this ship crash onto the shore and they see Paul and all the, there were 276 people on the, on the boat. They get off the boat and they all survive just like God told them they would. They all survive and they are around this fire and Paul is gathering up some sticks. He throws the sticks on there and a, a viper, a snake, um, which probably had, you know, kind of gone dormant because of the cold temperatures. When the fire warms up the snake, he comes back uh, and he grabs onto Paul's hand. You know, he just kind of digs into Paul's hand. Um, and the islanders are like, oh, this dude's dead. Um, and then he doesn't die. And it's kind of freaks the islanders out. Uh, look at verse six. It says, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a God. So like they thought he was going to die and now he doesn't die. So now they're assuming that he's a God. This is the second time in the book of Acts where a group of people believe that Paul is a God. It happens back in Acts chapter 14 in the city of Lystra where Paul and Barnabas healed a man uh, who had been born crippled, had never walked in his life. They brought him to his feet and he started walking around and they're like, did the gods have come down among us? And so twice in his life, somebody has believed that Paul is a God. I know how he feels. No, no. Anybody online? No. All right. All right. Okay. All right. That's fine. Well, the, uh, there's a, a, an official on the island. His name is uh, Publius, and uh, he has an estate. And so he comes and grabs them all, and they all go to stay with this official uh, at his home. And he showed generous hospitality. He says, look at verse 8 and 9. It says, his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. That's not good. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. And so Paul takes advantage of every opportunity to show the kindness and love of God wherever he goes. And, and through the power of the Holy Spirit within him, he is able to heal all the sick people on this island. It's incredible. But he takes advantage of this opportunity to show God's, God's kindness to the people of the island. And of course, he's going to take advantage of this opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And, and who the real God is. Paul wasn't a God, and he knew it. But he was going to testify to the truth that God is God. And Jesus is God. So they stay with this guy uh, for a couple of months. After three months, it says in verse 11, look at this. It says, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now, this ship was an Alexandrian ship. If you remember last week, we talked a little bit about that. That the, This was a ship that was coming from Egypt, and they would import 150,000 tons of grain every year from Egypt to Rome. And so this is one of those ships going from Egypt to Rome. It's a grain ship. Now, on the ship, there are engravings of two Roman gods, Castor and Pollux. They're twin gods. And these twin gods were often put on ships as kind of like protection over the seafaring vessels. So the ships, 
in those days looked to Castor and Pollux to protect them on the open seas. So they are headed, <clears throat> excuse me, they are headed to Rome, and they're finally going to get there. Um, they sail around uh, the island of Malta, and they start making their way up toward Italy. Look at verses 15 and 16. They get to Italy. The brothers and sisters there had heard we were coming, and they traveled as far as the form of Appius that was 45 minutes south, 45 miles south of Rome. Form of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier to guard him. And so Paul is going to live for two years under house arrest in Rome. He's allowed to have visitors. People can come and visit him. They can bring him things. Uh, Timothy, his young scribe, came and stayed with him for a long time. And Paul would write letters to the churches that he planted. Much of the New Testament are these letters that we have from Paul to the churches. And this is where he wrote them from was when he was in under house arrest in Rome. And so uh, uh, Paul is greeted by a bunch of believers and they travel the three day, uh, the five day journey uh, from the shore to the city of Rome and they get to Rome. And this is what happens there. Paul gets there and he calls together the Jewish leaders of, of uh, the synagogue there in Rome. And he's going to tell them about his journey. And he's going to tell them about Jesus, how Jesus is the, the song we just sang, the way, the truth, and the life. And so he calls together the Jewish leaders of the synagogue and he begins to talk to them about Jesus. And he tells them how he got to where he was, how he got to Rome and how he made his appeal to Caesar. And he was going to go before Caesar and plead his case because the Jews back in Jerusalem had accused him of doing all of these things like blaspheming the temple, blaspheming God, blaspheming God's word, the Torah. And so they said, he's done all these things. But they couldn't prove it. And they didn't have the legal right to execute him, even though they wanted to execute him. So Paul is going to plead his case to the Roman emperor, Caesar. Uh, look at verses 21 and 22. This is what the Jewish leaders tell Paul. It says, they replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. That's amazing because everywhere he goes, riots are started and people can't, they hate Paul. Not because he's a bad guy, but because he converted to Christianity. Verse 22. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And by sect, this sect, he's talking about Christianity. He's talking about faith in Christ. Which the Romans viewed as a sect of Judaism. And Jesus, when he came, it was a brand new thing. And Paul, when he explained it, and much of the New Testament, like I said, was written, about, written by Paul... He puts uh, the theology behind the faith that we have in Christ. And so they want to hear what Paul has to say. Look at verse 23 and 24. It says, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed them, witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And so Paul 
from morning till evening is talking about Jesus and, try, and showing the, the Jews from their own scriptures how they pointed to who Jesus was as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Promised Savior. And he goes through the entire Old Testament, the Law of Moses and the Prophets, and says, look, these all point to Jesus Christ. These all point to Jesus Christ. Paul had had an, an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And now he's trying to tell everybody else, you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've got to believe in Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one that God promised to send in the Old Testament. Verse 25. It says, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through the, uh, Isaiah the prophet, and he quotes Isaiah the prophet from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, about how uh, God told Isaiah to go to his people, and they, were going to, they weren't going to listen to him. Go to them anyway, he said, but they're not going to listen to you, and they're not going to understand what you're saying, and they're not going to believe what you are telling them. And Paul felt the same way, that he went to God's people, the Jews, and he told them about Jesus, and he pointed to the Old Testament scriptures, and yet many of them refused to believe. Even though he, he pointed to the evidence that, that pointed out that Jesus was indeed the Savior of the world, the Messiah that God promised to send, the Son of God. They refused to believe. And then he tells them, so this is why... I've been sent to the Gentiles because God's own people, the Jews, refuse to believe. And then the book of Acts closes with these words in verses 30 and 31. <clears throat> Excuse me. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now that's Paul in a nutshell. Bold and without hindrance, he proclaimed the word of God to everyone who came to see him. If only we had that kind of passion. If only we kind of had that, we only had that kind of burning desire to see people come to have faith in Jesus Christ. If only we truly understood and truly believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. If only we would grasp hold of this concept that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that there's no other way to be saved other than through him. Maybe then we would be more adamant and more fervent about preaching the gospel. Maybe then we would be more adamant and more fervent about telling people about Jesus. If we truly believed in our hearts and we truly believed what scripture said, that people who die apart from Christ don't go to heaven. If we truly understood that, if we truly grasped that, we would be proclaiming it from the rooftops that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you need to put your faith and trust in him. You need to believe in him. You need to turn away from sin and repentance. You need to confess your faith. You need to get baptized. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. We had a baptism here this week and it was a wonderful conversation I had with a young lady and, and, I, and I just said, what do you want to do? Well, I think I need to get baptized. Well, when do you want to do it? I don't know. I need a few days to think about it. I said, do you believe? Yes. Do you want Jesus to save you? Yes. I said, then you need to do this now. And we walked from my office over to here and we baptized her the other night. It's that important. It's that serious that putting your faith and trust in Jesus is the only way to be saved. And if only we could grasp that, if only we could understand that, if only we would proclaim that to where it just burned in our hearts 
for the lost, for those who are lonely, for those who are lost in their sins, for those who are dying apart from Christ. You see, that's how Paul lived his life. And that baton, I look at the Christian life, I look at the church as kind of like this race that we are running. And it started with Jesus and the apostles. And they have taken the baton and they have passed it on from generation to generation. The baton has been passed. The baton has been passed. And now here in in 2020, the baton has been passed to us. We have been handed the, in this relay race that we are running. I, I look at it like a relay race. And the, the, the people who've come before us have handed us the baton. And now we have got to run with it. And so there's three things you have to do. There's three things you have to know. First, the baton has been passed. You have to keep running the race. You have to keep running the race. You, you can't drop the baton. We as a church, we can't drop the baton. We have to keep going. We have to keep running. We have to keep running this race. You have to keep running the race. There's no time to rest. There's no time to stop. There's no time. uh, There's no time to waste. Jesus is coming. And when Christ comes, that's it. No more second chances. We have to be passionately pursuing the lost and those who are dying in their sins. We have to keep running the race. We can't take a moment off. Our enemy, I don't know if you know this or not, the devil doesn't take a moment off. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. My my family's under attack. My life is under attack. He doesn't care and he doesn't get tired, even though you do. You have to keep running the race. You have to keep going. You have to persevere. You have to press on through the hard days, through the tough times, through the fears, through the doubts, through the worries, through the anxieties. You have to keep running the race. There's no time to waste. There's no time to stop. You have to keep running. Secondly, Not only do you have to keep running the race, but you have to finish the race. You have to finish the race. God's word says that if you finish the race, there is a crown of life awaiting you. If you finish this race, you finish in first place. There's no second place. Everybody wins. Everyone who finishes the race wins. There's no silver medal. There's no bronze medal. It's only gold medals. Which, by the way, that's what the streets are made of in heaven. But, you know. The fact is, you need to finish this race. You need to be faithful until Jesus comes back or until you take your last breath. You have to faithfully finish the race. Persevere to the very end. And there's going to be obstacles. I mean, it's not like... How many of you have ever gone, like, running on a track? Or maybe walking on it? I don't run on a track. I, I walk on a track slowly sometimes but if if you've ever run on a track you know it's kind of a smooth surface it doesn't go uphill and downhill there's no valleys there's no mountains it's just a, a a smooth track the christian life is not run on a track some of you could testify to that right now the christian life is not run on a track it is it's running through hills and and mountains and down into valleys and through forests and through rocks and and it's hard Being a Christian is not easy. It is hard. 
But you got to keep running the race and you have to finish the race. Don't you are so close, my friends. You are so close to getting home. Don't give up now. Don't give up on your faith. Don't give up on Christ. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on his church. Don't give up on your race. You've got to finish the race. Like I said, the book of James says that there is a crown of life awaiting you if you will persevere through the trials and the troubles and the tests of life. You've got to keep running the race and you've got to run the race until you finish. Because there's good news when you finish this race. When you run the race and when you finish the race, you will win the race. You win. We win. And there's no greater winning, there's no greater prize than falling into the arms of Jesus at the end. How many of you have ever watched like a, a marathon on TV? Or how many, has anybody here ever run a marathon? You are my people. You are my people. But if you've ever watched a marathon, when people cross the finish line of the marathon, there's usually somebody there, right? Somebody there to like throw their arms around them and, and welcome them to the end of the race and, and to celebrate with them and to, and, to, and to congratulate them. You did it. You ran a race. You ran 26.2 miles. Now we're going to get the psychological evaluation to make sure you're in your right mind. Why would anybody do that? I don't know. But somebody's there to greet you when you finish the race. And my friends, there is someone there to greet you when you finish this race of life. And his name is Jesus Christ. And when you cross the finish line into heaven, when you take your last breath on earth and your first breath in heaven, the first person you will see will be your Savior Jesus who died for your sins and welcome you into his eternal presence. And he will throw his arms around you and welcome you home and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You finished the race. You ran the race. You finished the race. And now you have won the race. You have won. You are a winner. Congratulations. Welcome home. You have to finish this race. And when you do, you will win the race. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know that things come up. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're in a race. Sometimes it feels like you're in a boxing match with like Mike Tyson. And you got like both arms tied behind your back. And you're just a sitting duck. And life is hard. And it's full of disappointments. Full of dashed dreams. Fears. Problems. Trials. Tests of every kind. And there's days when you want to throw in the towel. There's days when you want to just sit down on the side of the road and, and just give up and, and just stop running. Don't stop running. Don't stop running your race. Keep going. That baton has been passed to you. 
And my friends, the people who came before us, the ones who have handed us this baton, have been through it as well. They've been through the trials. They've been through the tests. Like at the end of the book of Acts, we don't know what happens to the apostle Paul. We're not told what happens to Paul, but history tells us what happened to Paul. Paul, under the emperor Nero, was beheaded. As a Roman citizen, he would not have been allowed to have been crucified. So they beheaded enemies of the state who were... uh, in, uh, who were Roman citizens like Paul. And so under Nero, Nero was the cruelest emperor. And, and he, the stuff he did, he hated Christians. Like he set fire, it is rumored that he set fire to the city of Rome just to watch it burn. It burned for six days and seven nights. And then he blamed it on the Christians. And he used it as an attack against Christians. And the things that he did to Christians, like these are our ancestors. These are the people who handed us the baton and said, you got to run with this now. Like they would take dead animal skins and, and put them on Christians and throw them in the Colosseum and let wild dogs kill them. They would feed them to the lions in the Colosseum for the delight of the crowds. Nero, this dude was evil. Like he would round up Christians and tie them to posts in his garden, cover them with tar and set them on fire so that he would have uh, torches in his gardens at night. These are the people who came before us and they did not give up. They did not give in. They did not stop running. That, my friends, is persecution. Be very careful how you use that word. Because if they're not tying us to torches, if they're not feeding us to lions... You know, we may not be experiencing the kind, I'm not saying we don't experience persecution, but not getting to meet in our comfy building for 10 weeks isn't persecution. It's just not. Like Paul would be standing here with his head on his side going, this isn't persecution, people. Because you can't meet in your building with your little coffee bar, your comfy seats and your air conditioning, but you can still watch it online. I'm going to stop now because that's persecution. Real persecution, losing your life for Jesus. And Jesus said it'll happen again. He said it'll happen again. Will you run the race no matter what? Will you keep running until you finish the race and fall into the arms of Jesus, no matter what? Because that's the question for us all. That is the question as we move into from Acts 28 to next week, talking about Acts 29 and how we've been writing the story of Acts 29 for the last 2000 years. Will you keep running your race? Or when the, when the going gets tough, will you give up? When persecution comes against the church in, in whatever year it comes, and Jesus said, do not be surprised if the world hated you, hates you because it hated me first. Do not be surprised when persecution breaks out. There's a whole book, the book of Revelation, tells us all about persecution that's coming toward the church. It is coming. Like real persecution is coming for the church. Will you run the race? Will you keep going or will you bow out? The only ones who win the race are those who finish. Are you ready to finish the race? The baton has been passed. Let's run with it and change the world for Jesus Christ.